We've been um, going through a, uh, a, a series here talking about our weapons. And, um, and primarily we've been talking about how these are intellectual weapons that, that God has given to us. Um, this, this week differs a little bit, and I hate to try to jam a square peg into a round hole. So, uh, so, so what I mean by that is that in the discussion of weapons... We, we tend to think of things as uh, looking at some type of offensive posture. Uh, and, um, you know, we're looking for some type of instrument that represents something aggressive happening or, or something. And I don't mean that in a negative sense, but, but a sword uh, is a picture. That, that's obvious. A sword is a picture of an action that we are taking uh, deliberately. And, and today's is not going to... Uh, it is represented in the scriptures as a, as a part of our conflict with, with, with spiritual uh, forces opposite us. But it is not something which presents a, a metaphor or an imagery uh, within something uh, that, that looks aggressive like a sword. Uh, so today we are going to be talking about caution. Now you don't think of caution as a, as a weapon, uh, and it isn't in the traditional sense. Much of, however, much of the success of any conflict is going to have to do with the preparation that goes into it and the observation. Uh, a lot of times, and I think we've, we've seen this in, in what's going on in Europe, uh, one side jumps in and, and they're, gonna, they're just going to, they're going to, Take over. They're, they're all aggressive. They're so aggressive that they don't really think about a lot of steps that needed to be taken in advance to, to, uh, to have ultimate success in this conflict. Oh, they have all the offensive weaponry and they have all the wonderful things that, that, that they think are going to win the day. But um, in, the, in reality, the one that takes the preparation maybe is not so fast out of the gate, not so aggressive out of the gate, ends up surviving, ends up winning because they've taken more thought about what's going on. And I, I think that's, that's illustrated in Ukraine. We're going to turn to First Timothy, however. We're going to try to keep this spiritual. First Timothy chapter 4. First Timothy chapter 4 is a verse we all know well. And uh, verse 16 is what is going to serve as the, the text for, for today. We're going to be looking at two types of caution. <clears throat> and he says in verse 16, he says, Take heed uh, to yourselves and to your doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will serve both yourself and those who hear you. Now he's going to, as I say, he's outlines two areas here. I'm going to kind of rephrase these a little bit. But he, he mentions paying attention to yourself. Uh, and to your, and, to, and what, the one we're going to rephrase a little bit is paying attention to your doctrine. We're going to talk about doctrine. But I want to start with this, this last one first. And we're going to talk about, I want to uh, open up this, the, the, the first topic, which is our larger topic, by, by turning to First Peter chapter 5. And verse 8, because in the discussion of doctrine, we have to look at what is underneath the doctrine that we have to be 
concerned about. And so in verse 8, he says this. He says, be sober, be, be vigilant. Right? We're talking about caution. Because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brothers in the world. Now, our regular presentation or concepts that, that we look at when we, we look at this verse, I think are inaccurate uh, a lot of times because we, now I want to look at this in two ways. The two common errors that, that we, I think, immediately look at when we look at this verse. They're not errors about this verse, but they're just kind of assumptions that, that we have concerning lions. And this is a specific image he's presenting to us. First of all, let's talk about the roaring lion. We need to talk about the roaring lion. What is that in imagery too? Well, who, what, what is the lion that roars? It's the male lion. The male lion roars. He's, a, he's pretty full of himself. The roaring lion, we have to look at that. When does the roaring lion roar? The roaring lion roars after it's over. He doesn't, he doesn't do that before. That, that, that's, that, that would be counterproductive. Every, everything's, the, the, the hunt is very sneaky. And the, the roaring lion, he comes in after it's all over. And, and he's like, I'm hungry now. And, and look at what I've done. I've vanquished. And, and then he starts roaring, look at me. I, I've won. And so, so this is the picture. He says, he says um, you, you, know, you need to be cautious of... Because there's a roaring lion out there. In other words, Satan is looking around essentially for the ones who've already defeated themselves or allowed themselves to be defeated. And this is not like, uh, hey, there's a roaring lion. He might get you. If you hear him roaring, it's already too late. He's already won. And so this goes into the caution that we need to have prior to that moment. I'm not looking around for a roaring lion. I'm looking for the lions that are not roaring. Because if I don't notice them, then I'm defeated. Your caution needs to be into play when Satan is quiet, in other words. Because if you're not, then you will be the victim. Error two is the hunting lion. The hunting lion. The hunting lion is not the roaring lion. Didn't know if you know that. That roaring lion comes in and steps in when everything's been done for him. And he's like, okay, I get to eat first. I'm the roaring lion. Who hunts? It's not misogynistic, the females, though. <laughs> Be cautious. In other words, and we're going to get into this. Satan doesn't do all the work himself. The roaring lion is not the one who does the damage. All of the, what we see in the, what you notice is not really where the, where the danger lies. Because you're, you're noticing that. It's in the sneakiness. And, and, and a lot of the things that are around us are, are sneaky. They sound good. The, the spiritual things, oh yeah, and, and a lot of ideas get mixed in and presented to us as great, wonderful ideas and spiritual things and religious things, and, 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 and Satan's like, ah, oh, I can use this. 
And this is where we get into pay heed, pay attention to your doctrine. Be cautious about your doctrine. We talked about the scriptures, but the, the concepts underneath. Satan is a predator, but he doesn't have to do the hunting. So we're going to look at his surrogates. Who does the hunting for Satan? Because he doesn't go to every person on the planet and do his own work. He's got a lot of surrogates. And, and so the scriptures look at... Uh, so I want to turn back to First uh, Timothy chapter 4. <clears throat> but I want to look at the beginning of the chapter. First Timothy chapter 4. He says, the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. <clears throat> they will speak lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. So the first surrogate, he talks about doctrines of demons. And so demons, I, I, we get into the mystical, and, uh, and, and, and it's kind of, especially right, right around now, this, this wasn't planned to be this way, but, but, but right around now, everything gets mystical and mysterious and This is why I've renamed it, as we talk about doctrines of demons. Talking about Satan, in, in our first text is so talked about pay attention to your doctrine, because this is an intellectual weapon that is used against us. And so caution is how you respond to doctrines. We, we do need to be cautious when we look, speaking of caution, when we, when we look at this text, because he says, he says what, something that we, it tingles our ear. He says, in later times, right? So, so let me give you an example of how this works, how caution with doctrine works. Um, humans have two tendencies, probably more than that, but two that are very dangerous, especially when it comes to predictions in the Bible. Two things that are very, very, oh, we're so susceptible. One is that we have a flair for the dramatic when we read scriptures. Oh, so dramatic. And we're enticed by that. It's fantastical. It's wonderful. So, so we like, the more dramatic the interpretation, the more, you know, we, we tend towards. Wow, did you, did you read that? Wow, it's so, so exciting. The other thing that we have a tendency to do is we look for ourselves in the Bible. Not sure if you know what that means. I'll give you an illustration of that. So uh, the man that started the congregation where, uh, before I was born, but it was the congregation where uh, we were when, when I was born uh, in, in New York. Uh, he was a big Bible prophecy writer. His name was Fred Miller. He's passed away now, but... Uh, an incredible, immensely capable historian and uh, just wrote books and books and books, right? 
Now, he got to Zechariah and, and Revelation and some of these things, and he put these, it's like, okay, my, my brain is not that big. He just, he's just a, a thinker. And back before it was popular, I mean, back before people knew what Ukraine was, he'd, he'd said, you know, there's this Gog and Magog thing, and he was, he was talking about how Ukraine was going to be some significant point, and he was predicting, he predicted, he was like, I don't know how he came up with it, and I don't know that he was accurate if he just got lucky, but he says, no. Back when everybody thought Russia was going to take over the world, he was like, no, it's going to fall. He was right. And I know a lot of guys that are really smart, and they're like, oh, Fred was right. We were wrong. You know, I don't know how we got that one wrong. And Fred was right about a lot of things, but Fred had this idea that Ukraine was going to be a part of some great thing at the end of the world. I don't know if that's true or not. So, so this is where I say we like to find ourselves. Now, I was aware of that back in the early 90s. Fred's ideas back when I was in college. Well, about a decade later, I was planning to go to Ukraine. And is this like, if that's right, I could be a part of like, you know, I mean, a part of something amazing happening. Just a little, little tiny part. And is this part you want to find yourself? And so there's this tendency for me to want to agree with Fred, even though I don't agree with Fred. Like, I don't. Like, in retrospect, I don't really agree with his interpretation there. I think he was wrong. Whatever, maybe he's right. I, don't, I could be wrong. But I'm just saying there was a tendency for me to want to agree with him. Why? Because of my tendency to want to find myself in the scriptures. And this is why this is important. He says, in later times. And we say that phrase and we go, oh, later times. <laughs> and Paul is writing this, you know, in the 60s, 60 AD, 66, or somewhere in there between 60 and 66 AD. And uh, he's likely talking about something that happened in the second century, by the way. There was a group, uh, they were called uh, the Severians. And they were a part of the Gnostic group and they prohibited marriage. They were a celibate vegetarian group. What an exciting bunch. Um, that's probably what he's referring to. Now, does that mean that, that Satan isn't active today? That, no, of course not. Satan's always had a doctrine. There's always a doctrine of demons. Satan doesn't forget a generation. Like, oh, you know what, I'm going to take this one off. You guys have fun. There's always a hunt on, and Satan's always prowling. I want to start from right now, right? We, we're aware of, of, of some of the things going now, and I want you to pay attention to things, because what is going on in the world almost always is mirrored within church doctrine. Let, let's go back in time, because kind of stuff that goes on right now gets to be controversial. So, so let's go back in time before it's controversial. Let's go back to the 80s, the great 80s, when the Gen Xers' primary idea, what was, what was our primary exciting thing going on in the world in the 80s was, really, it was prosperity. I mean, this is where the economic boom took off in recent times. 
And we had the idea that success is happiness. That wonderful idea that whoever dies with the most toys wins. It's an 80s idea. Or at least it's recently a, a very popular thing that happened then. What happens religiously in the 80s? Health and wealth. That really starts in the 80s. You see the connection? Is that, is that ironic or is, is Satan just like working two sides of the coin here? Well, let's back up a generation and see if we can see a tendency. Well, what's going on in the 60s? Well, there's a lot of things going on in the 60s. But among them is, is this rebellion against essentially everything, against a lot of norms. That's what's going out in the world. And there's this, this the idea is being popularized of, of no truth. That's, that's, we hear a lot of that today, but there's, you know, your truth and my truth, that, a lot of that starts in the 60s. And this just general amorphous kind of whatever you want idea. And what's going on religiously in the 60s? We have the rise of transcendentalism, which is this meditative ah, religion. Eerie. How similar what's going on in the religious world is to what's going on in the secular world. Oh, let's back up to the, the silent generation. Oh, that, that's back then when everything was perfect. right? The golden age of TV. Remember that? The 40s and the 50s. The golden age. When things were ideal. And we had the first televangelists. The first watered-down gospels to get presented. And religiously, Satan says, I can take this and I can have a doctrine of demons and I can, I can convince the secular world of this and I can convince Christians of this. Well, let's back up 100 years from there. We won't do this all the way back to Christ. I just want to illustrate that. Every generation. 1840s. What do you suppose is going on in the 1840s? Like, I don't even know what's going on in the 1840s. There's a doctrine called the Manifest Destiny in the 1840s. And it essentially said, we're America. We're what God has always loved and always planned for. We're, we're awesome. And so, therefore, everything we see is ours. Mexico, we want your land. And so we take from Texas over to California. There's actually a map that shows us trying to claim a good section of Canada. It just didn't work. But we just thought, God loves us and wants us to have everything. And so we expand west and conquer. And at this exact same moment of time, Mormonism goes right west, right with it. Amazing. With this manifest destiny that, that God, or, or that Satan is always doing in two fields. Secular and Christian. He's always manipulating both sides. There's always, always, always a doctrine of demons out there. Whether or not Timothy is talking about now or then, it's not important. The, the idea is that is always a doctrine of demons. And so we need to be cautious for whatever it is that's going on out there because there's a 
good likelihood that God is saying, listen, he's trying to do it inside your walls. And he doesn't have to do it himself. He's got surrogates. They are not merely demons. But 1 John chapter 4 says this. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, the demons, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Oh, we we focus on the invisible demons out there. I'm not going to see them. But he says, here's how you test them. Check out who's working for them. <laughs> it's kind of like a hierarchy here. And I don't know how you, where that, how that middleman gets, you know, how that gets communicated between Satan and, and, a, and a human being. I'm not sure how that works. I don't know if you just kind of have to open yourself up to it. But this is what I know. That eventually it becomes a human who's dealing some of the doctrines that Satan's like, this is a good idea. Make it happen. I don't know. I don't know where that, where that connection is. I just know we have to be cautious for it. I, I can't see Satan do it, and I can't see a demon do it. But I can observe, and I can listen, and be cautious for what humans are saying and doing, because that's how I test the spirits. He says, test the spirits, because why? Because there's false teachers. I can't test the demon. We don't have regular conversations at the coffee shops. So let me test you. But I can check. I can listen to the, the, the podcast of a person. Oh, have you listened to this? I, I get these all the Have you ever heard this preacher? No, I don't listen to that. Why? I'm pretty sure it's a doctrine of demons. I'm just like, if I've got to flip a coin, you know. That, that coin comes down on the head side a lot, you know. That's a weighted coin. There's a, there's a lot of errors out there, as I pointed out. We see, we, we, we talk about demons and stuff, and we get all into the mystical test the spirits, and, and, and we, we get overly dramatic about this, and we start thinking about demon possession and all those things, and I'm not saying that those things don't happen now. I don't, again, this is, I don't know how the transition happens. I, I, don't, I don't see a lot of demon possession. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. For one, God never said it was going to stop. It, it doesn't. I think more likely what's happened is, you know, if you... Uh, if you want to get rid of wildlife, you just clear-cut its habitat, right? And you'll notice that there's, there's not a whole lot of wildlife in that area anymore. And I think Christianity has clear-cut a lot of the habitat that demonic influence had in the world. That, that when you read the Gospels, you're like, where are all these demon-possessed people? I just do not see this. It's a different world. Christianity's influenced so much, they just don't have a lot of room to live and breathe. I think it's starting to change a little bit. I think we might see some weird stuff happen. I don't know. 
because it seems kind of like it's going a little different direction. We have to be cautious. We have to be alert. But our, our text, as I said, that's the, the biggest side of things as we're talking about caution. He says, pay attention to your doctrine. But, but the first thing he mentioned is this. He says, pay attention to yourself. Pay attention to yourself. Well, that can mean a lot of things in the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians chapter 5. And verse 15. He says, I, I like this in, in the older, but I, I, I realize it's probably not a literal translation. He says, see then that you walk circumspectly. I like that word. Not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Circumspectly is a, is a I, I, don't, I assume it's British of some sort, but uh, it, it, circum means around and spectly means looking. So walk around looking. <laughs> I kind of like that. Walk around looking. Be cautious, some say. But it is a reference, says, it's really a reference to my lifestyle the pattern of behavior, the types of decisions that I have, the types of priorities that I make in my life. Pay attention to yourself. It's good to, to walk around looking at other things, but, but also look at yourself. Redeeming the time because the days are, easy, are, are evil. I'm, I'm paying attention to where I'm walking. Paying attention to me as well. I'm cautious because I'm, I, I know where my, my next step is going to be. And I want to look at a couple of applications of this. Uh, in Proverbs, I'm going to go to the Old Testament for just, just a little bit. Proverbs, in chapter 14 and verse 16. Proverbs 14, verse 16 here. He says, A wise man fears and departs from evil, or some say a wise man is cautious, but a fool rages and is overconfident. A wise man is cautious. He's hasty. And we began talking about that, that... that that without caution, you just have this idea that you can charge into a situation and, and, and beat it. And you get yourself into trouble. Recklessness, it puts us in dangerous situations all the time. Now, we often think of unspirituality in terms of being bad. Right? I'm bad, so I'm unspiritual. Or vice versa. And that's not exactly accurate. I mean, it's true. That is a true statement. But in my regular life, I might not feel bad. I might not be making bad decisions, specifically. I may even be having frequent moral thoughts. 
I may be reading my Bible, and I might be doing those things, and therefore assume that I am spiritual. But just because I'm not leading a villainous life does not mean that I'm spiritual. Just because I'm doing some religious things does not mean that I am spiritual. If I am making the types of decisions and, and, and establishing priorities that put myself at risk, then I'm not spiritual. I'm not being cautious. I'm, I'm not being aware of the dangers around me. So it might not be revealing itself at that point in time. I might be fine. But there's going to come a moment where my hastiness and my lack of preparation is going to show itself. The unspirituality will reveal itself. Why? Because Satan's walking around looking. He knows where I'm at. He's going to be roaring if, I'm, if I've separated myself from the herd. Oh, I, I might not be in a dangerous situation today, but I will be tomorrow. And Joshua, the book of Joshua, chapter 22. Great warrior. Listen to some advice given to Joshua. The book of Joshua, chapter 22. That's not going to happen. I mean, did I type two twos? Let me see. Being as how there's only 21 chapters, that will not be there. I think I got an extra typo there. Mm. Okay, something got copied down wrong. I'm not going to find it. Likely, I will not find that. We're going to just skim past that then, which is fine for the sake of time. Joshua, I, I do know the, the reference. Um, I have no idea. What's that? What, chapter 22, what verse? Is it, I don't think, jo I think Joshua has. That's 24. Was I in the wrong book? Was I in Judges or something? Yeah, Judges. What's that? Judges had left. Okay, that's what I, I, I apparently need a prescription now. Let's try that again. Ch ch chapter 22, verse 5. You want to read that camp? Because I'm not there now. I closed my Bible. Verse 5? Yeah, see if that's the one. Uh, but be careful to keep the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you. Yeah, I was apparently in Judges. I think it's Judges has 21. And that's the one I wanted. It says, be cautious to act. And there are a couple of ideas here that I think are interesting. 
Very vital. Caution does not, first of all, it does not merely refer to a nervous type of awareness. Cautious. Right? Okay, there is that type of caution. Right? That, that kind of feels like what First Peter is addressing when he talks about, uh, the, about Satan. But caution here is, is slightly different. A word I use frequently, and you'll hear this, probably in your, you're familiar with me, using the word deliberate. Caution means deliberate as well. And he says, be deliberate to do two things. First of all, it, it, it says to act, to do, to obey. Deliberate to make sure you are doing it, number one. And two, to make sure and be deliberate how you are doing it. And not just that I'm doing what God asks, but I'm doing, it to, I'm doing what God asks in the manner that God asks me to do it. Those are both important. I can say, oh yeah, I'm going to do this. You get back and like, this doesn't look like what I asked you to do. Well, I did it. Right? This, this happens when we ask kids to clean rooms. So, I cleaned the room. I didn't ask you to push it to the borders of your room and make a new kind of like molding around <laughs> your room so that you could get from your doorway to your bed. That's not what I asked you to do. I did it. Right? Be cautious to do it, but do it as it should be done. Speaking of that, my least favorite home project, which is why it hasn't been done, is crown molding. Any kind of molding, but crown molding is the worst. Why? Because I end up buying twice the material that I need. Oh, I made that cut wrong. And you do doors, you do it wrong, you got two inches short, you just wasted like a lot of wood. I just wasted a chunk of wood. Ah, cut, be cautious. Like, is this the right weight on my chop saw? Is this, did I measure, did I measure to the inside or to the outside? Which one did I do? Ah, yeah, Caution. Ukrainian phrases, measure seven, cut once, right? Uh, different, different cultures probably have that differently, but be cautious in how you are doing things. And finally, Galatians chapter six, verse one. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. He says, Brethren, if man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself so that you also are not tempted. Considering yourself, being cautious, paying attention to yourself. What? Paying attention to what? My attitudes. The manner in which I'm doing something will illustrate whether it's a spiritual. He says, listen, you who are spiritual, you're spiritual. This is how you identify your spiritualness, your spirituality, is by being cautious in your attitudes. Your attitudes will show whether you are spiritual or not. 
Because if my attitudes are wrong, I can actually end up becoming prey to the same exact activities that I would correct in another person. The same exact thing. My attitudes are wrong. I go to correct somebody about anger. <laughs> I could get angry at them. Why are you doing this? Oh, wait a second. Probably should have checked my attitudes before I come over. Right? And so I become, and maybe this is how it happens. Maybe this is where that transition is. Maybe this is where the, the middleman is, is, is that I become an unwitting surrogate for Satan. Maybe that's just how it happens, naturally, with attitudes. Maybe attitudes is how demons get it to me. I don't know. I just open myself up to it. And that's really why there was the setting that they had. People were more open to it because they didn't have Christian influences. So, so even 2,000 years later, we can still be open to it. There are crazy stories out there. And I've had people I trust to tell me crazy stories. And then you figure out what people were doing and why they were open to some of the influences that they were open to. If we don't check ourselves, if we don't monitor ourselves, if, if we're not aware, and you can take a church, an individual, a movement, whatever it is, and we can become just the religious version of whatever's happening out there. There are a lot of not really good things right now happening out there. Guess that's always been the case. That's always been the case. We go, oh, now it's horrible. <laughs> it, was, it was horrible in the 80s. It was horrible in the 20s. It was horrible in the 1720s. It, it's always been horrible out there. And Satan has always managed, as I say, to make a, 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 a nice version of it. That's palatable to Christians. It, because it's by comparison, it's better. We need to check what those influences are, what those spirits are that are coming through your own attitudes, through the statements that are made up here, downstairs, on the religious radio programs, that you listen to on the way home from church or to church or whatever during the week? What are those influences? What are those doctrines? It it's, doesn't sound much like an offensive weapon. I realize that. But if we don't have that, we will most certainly lose an important battle.